I'm Dave Laird. I'm Matt Booker. And I'm Mike Miley, and this is an episode of Deciderization in the Year of Total Noise here in the Great Concavity. Well, thanks for that, Mike. This is episode 51 of The Great Concavity. You're welcome. And it's our uh, it's our annual year in review episode for the year 2019. So uh, we thought, you know, Matt and I, well, Matt doesn't watch movies, and I didn't see that many movies this year. So we figured, hey, let's get our resident expert friend, Mike Miley, who is the guest of episode 39, to come on and talk movies with us. And then we just thought, well, what the hell, let's just have him for the whole thing. So... Uh, welcome to the show, Mike. Again, round two. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. This is the episode where once a year we talk about our favorite books that we read, movies that we watched, albums, shows. Uh, I play some video games and board games. Matt usually laughs at me. Um, no, no, no. I, I then, love uh, <laughs> movies and board games and all of that um, <clears throat> Arkham horror. It's so great. I love it. Mm-hmm. I played a lot of that this year, and I'll I will I will join you, Dave. I do have a a, a game I can talk yeah, about. Yeah, that's this good. Year. We we were texting uh, uh, about that okay. not too long ago, so that's that's good. I like that you're getting your kids some board games. You know, it's a good life. Oh yeah, those critical thinking yeah, that skills too. going. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I don't track the number of books that I read per year. I've thought that I should, and I really respect people who do track the total number or exactly what they read, but. Mm-hmm. I did try to, in the past couple of weeks, try to keep a list or go back through my shelves. So I assume that you've done the same, Dave. I think this is like our probably third or fourth time doing this. Yeah. So I, I think it's the fourth. Like a running list going. I and... do. I have it open on my computer like all the time and I just add to it all year. Oh, and shit. then I, I and then I feel notes and then I burn it after we record and then I start a new one. You burn the computer? Yeah, the whole computer, oh, not just the file. Fucking a. Yeah. All right. Well, That's beautiful, man. I'm sponsored by Apple, okay. so it um, makes it easier. <laughs> all I do is just think in December, I need to go back through my shelves and try to make a list of stuff that I read. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and write it in like a pencil in the field notes. And yeah. for people who don't know, that's the one brand in life that I really am loyal to is field notes. Field brand. notes. Yeah. And I absolutely love everything that they do, even though they're not sponsoring this particular episode. <laughs> we um, should look into that. Yet, though. <laughs> yet yeah. uh, they should, because I would gladly promote their products uh-huh. in every episode. Okay. Um, so that's what I've done, but I've limited this down to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10 books I'm going to talk about and that's it. Okay, cool. And as you mentioned, I, I saw basically no movies really. Uh, that's why we have uh, Mike Miley, who is a movie expert and has mm-hmm. the true like bona fides um, to vouch for as a movie expert. And he's been on the show before. It's been a while though. Mike, what is this? Like three years ago? Three years ago? Uh, so, something like that. Maybe, maybe two. I think it was uh, 2017. Um, I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. I was in New Zealand. Yeah, when we two did years it, ago. So, yeah. two and a half. It's been, it's too bad because you know we we talk to Mike all the time, and I feel like yeah, you're an extension of the show, whether you're <laughs> on it every episode or not. 
Um, yeah, I'm I'm there. I'm pre- I'm I'm in all of them. Yeah, mentally, <laughs> just I don't always say. I just don't always say anything. Yeah, mentally, to me, you're part of the show, and um, it's great to have you here because I truly am interested in what you have to say about movies. And um, I don't know, Dave. Do do we want to start with the movies? Do we want to start with the books? Like, oh yeah, that's fun. Let's almost over. Let's switch it Mike's up. Mike's also start like a movies. good reader. He's got a lot yeah. of books too. I'm sure, Mike. Oh yeah. Prob- Did you count your books, Mike? I did. Yeah, I um starting a couple of years ago when I opened up a Goodreads profile to kind of keep track of what I've read, uh, I started counting and then I did their kind of reading challenge thing. And so right now I am reading book number 89 of 2019. Wow. What? Holy shit. So, yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I am. I'm I mean, such a most loser. of them have been very short. No, I mean, but like you read a poetry collection and that counts as a as a book. I read fourteen. Right? But it might not take as long to read. <laughs> yeah, fair. You're, that's it's it's that's yeah, it's okay. It's I mean I just I don't do anything else. Like that's the <laughs> that's the thing. Like I don't this is why I'm overweight and and underslept <laughs> yeah. and you know, all of that stuff is like this is this is what I do. Right. So yeah. uh yeah, so it's okay. No there's no I I mean Maybe I should be the one feeling shame for that, right? No, I only read fourteen. No. Granted, some of those were were larger, like novel explosives and bubble gum, or like you know seven hundred something pagers, but still. Uh, 80, yeah, so our page something. counts may be comparable. No, I'm sure they're not even close. But I probably watch more TV than you, so I make up for it in other ways. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you definitely saw more TV than I did this year. Good, good. Okay, well, we usually Matt, we usually start with. Uh, with books because you know this is a literature podcast but let's go let's go off brand here and start with movies Uh, i didn't see a ton of great films this year uh or in general a large part of that is because we have a small child and not a lot of uh child care in the evenings but i did see a few movies in the theater and a few that came out you know in previous years um probably the, my favorite thing that I saw in the theater this year was Jojo Rabbit. Did anyone see that? Oh, no. The Taika Waititi film? No, I didn't wind up going to see okay. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did not see it. Yeah, I liked it. I did it. see his previous film. Uh, Thor Ragnarok. Is that it? <laughs> uh, go back another one. Um, in the uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, yeah. That one. Uh, I did like that one. by him. Um, Hunt I did for like the yeah, what, we do, what We Do in the Shadows is good. Yeah, that's great. Hunt for the Wilda People, is that what it's called? Is the, it by him? Yeah, that's the yeah. one I liked. Okay, yeah. That's yeah. the one I liked. Yeah, that's, that's probably great. like four years ago, three years ago. Yeah, something know. like that. Um, but tell us about the Jojo Rabbit is Hitler or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Involved there. Yeah, so it's about a, a, I think like 13, 14-year-old boy in Germany during World War II who's in the Hitler Youth, and his, and his imaginary friend is Hitler. So he envisioned he has all these scenes with Taika Waititi, who plays Hitler, which is great because Taika Waititi is uh, is Maori and here from New Zealand. So uh, someone who's of color playing Hitler is, you know, kind of hilarious in a way. Um, The movie got kind of panned in some circles for being too insensitive to some of the atrocities of, you know, World War Two and genocide. But I think those criticisms sort of miss the point of his general aesthetic as a director his stuff tends to be like quite funny and charming and i think that he envisioned that world in a way that you know deals with both elements um kind of the light and the funny as well as the like dark and tragic 
and the performances were great. Like Scarlett Johansson's amazing in it. Um, so yeah, I does she play Hitler? She play no, she plays the boy's mother, and she's like decidedly she's decidedly not a Nazi, and her son is like a fanatical Nazi in training. Uh, and they're housing a, a Jewish girl in their house. And so that's kind of like the, the start of the story. It's good. I did see a Scarlett Johansson movie with uh, Adam Driver. Yeah, Marriage and, Story. Uh, marriage Story. We, we I think we watched this on the same day, actually. We were texting. Uh, what did you yeah, think of that? I, oh, right. I don't know what the day is there in New Zealand. It's all fucked up for me, but it's like <laughs> approximately the same day. But Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it's – I love Noah Baumbach. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a fan mm-hmm. of his mm-hmm. father's work, Jonathan Bombach. If you haven't read his his books, his no. novels, I highly uh, recommend them. Oh, cool. Um, you know, he's based on the Jeff Daniels character in Square oh, yeah. right? Yeah, Jonathan Bombach. Mm-hmm. I say sense. the real person is based on the fictional character, but it's probably the other way. I guess. I guess. <laughs> But, I love that uh, movie, Squid in the Whale. I'll watch anything that he does, but I, I thought, yeah. you know, this is probably not his best work. He's, yeah. He's okay. gone through a divorce with Jennifer Jason Lee. It's very autobiographical. Mm, and, okay. you know, the the male character somehow comes out like smelling like roses in that movie. And the female lead is not that great. Hmm. So I was like, well, it's probably by design because he wrote the fucking movie. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. What was your take on it? I mean, I thought it was like it was okay. It wasn't that as depressing as some people said it was going to be. I thought it was going to yeah. be like really sad. I did I too. Like, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. It is it, to me. It, yeah, because I was yeah. I was going to watch it uh, last weekend uh, when my wife and I had the house to ourselves, <laughs> and then we were because we're huge Bombback fans, and then we just both kind of looked at each other and said, maybe not on date night. Yeah, uh, a movie about and a, and a so we watched something movie. else, and I just haven't gotten to it since then. Yeah. Yeah, I think it reminded me kind of of like a, it had the feel of a Woody Allen film, you know, like Annie Hall or something where the soundtrack is like light and kind of jingly. And yet there's kind of like depressing big life stuff happening on screen. And so I think the soundtrack is what sort of took me out of the like the possible depression of that film and made it feel a bit airier. Um, But yeah, I liked it too, Matt. I wouldn't say that it's anything approaching Squid and the Whale, but... um, yeah it's funny there's some poignant stuff uh some of the i think i think both the performances were pretty amazing like the main the major argument scene was uh i guess pretty pretty edge of the seat you know scarlett johansson is also a muse of woody allen and i think she's probably better in some of the woody allen stuff than she was in this yeah um i don't know i just didn't think it was great yeah, film. like yeah. It, it was accessible because it's on Netflix, right? Yeah, and that's why I watched it. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that so helps for I, sure. I would say if you have opinions about Marriage Story, write into us. Um, the three of us dudes are all married, right? So we mm-hmm. have a little bit of experience of probably not getting along every single day of our lives. Um, <laughs> it's relate. It's relatable. You know, Raising small children is always relatable. I'm very interested in storylines about that. But, yeah. you know, he's like, oh, I won a MacArthur grant. And she's like, oh, that's great. And I was like, even if you hate my guts, I expect you to freak out if I say it. <laughs> I mean, if you win a MacArthur, that's like, oh, by the way, I won the Nobel Prize. One, I don't think he deserved it. Right? But... <laughs> like the character um, didn't deserve it, you mean? 
Right. No, yeah, no. I, t- not I tend at to all. agree with that. Yeah. Not at all. Like, that has not shown up in the Twitter discourse oh about it yet. I think you need to start that, Matt. I <laughs> well, think that's your contribution yeah, that's to the good. to the discourse yeah. right there. Is I guess. It, who else in the universe of Marriage Story should have gotten not him. his MacArthur grant? <laughs> I want well, no, but I think that's your that's your thread right yeah. there. Yeah, that's good. And also, I did like the scene where he sings in the restaurant. Oh um, yeah, I thought that was a bit I long. That was very. Mm, yeah, well, and, fair enough, and, but I, I know thought it was mean. very vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was different, a- you know, at least it was uh, a little more revealing than just like two people yeah. yelling at each other about it. Totally. Night, you know, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a subtle... Well, here's yeah. something I... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's all you. Uh, well, something I wanted to ask y'all as people who have seen it, and I, I haven't seen it yet, but something I'm curious about going into watching it is not only comparing it with Bombach's other work, mm-hmm. but also comparing it with a film like Before Midnight that also would have a pretty celebrated argument scene that also is very much about a film about marriage. Um, I I didn't know if if either of you have seen that film as well and how the two either compare or don't or, you know, are they apples and oranges? Mm, To me, uh, all of those those three Linklater movies are absolute Pantheon movies. And Mm -hmm. I, I would not compare them at all i think that ethan hawk and julie delpy have way better chemistry than scarlett johansson and adam driver and i mean part of the point is probably they never had chemistry and therefore they're getting divorced um (laughs) but the fight especially at the beginning it made a huge impression on me and before midnight where they're in the car and they're driving and ethan hawk is eating that apple you know and he eats the whole core of the apple and the seeds and the stem and the whole thing and they're having this discussion. The kids are sleeping in the back. And I was like, to me, that felt more real than anything that Noah Baumbach has ever done. I, I, okay. Yeah, I, when the kids wake up and they tell the kids that the the exhibit, the ruins were closed <laughs> because they slept it. through it. <laughs> I love it. I love that whole movie. I mean, I, I think I'm way more interested in anything in those three movies than anything Noah Baumbach did. And I love Noah Baumbach, but to me, those three in particular are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you, Mike? What was good this year in the film? Oh man. Well, uh, okay. So far and away, the, my favorite thing that I saw this year is uh, Joanna Hogg's film, the souvenir uh, that I guess is uh very autobiographical for her and it's a so um hunter um swinton burn i i think i just ruined that name is the main character she plays a student in an mfa program in the uk making a she's trying to make a film and she wants to make this gritty documentary about uh the working class in the north of england but she's a very posh young woman and she starts this love affair with this younger guy youngish guy in the foreign service and it winds up being a pretty torrid love affair full of i don't want to give away too many of the twists and things like that but i guess what's remarkable about it is that it isn't necessarily anything new that you haven't seen as far as a story goes about a really tumultuous relationship Mm -hmm. but something about the way that it's done 
the I guess the restraint of the way that it's shot, where so many things the camera's very far away and removed and really focusing on the environments that they're in as they're doing these things that maybe you've seen in a dozen movies before. But it I it's the kind of movie where as I was watching it, I was sort of like, I don't know if I like this. I'm not sure about the hype behind this movie. I mean I, I guess it's really good. Mm-hmm. Doing that kind of the whole way. And then the last couple of shots are really phenomenal where there's a the second to last shot, you think, okay, that's it, that's the end of the movie. This is the this is where they go out. And it doesn't. And then you think, well, why would why wouldn't you stop there? And then the last shot, you're like, oh, oh that's why. <laughs> dang, that's where the movie ends, you know? And cool. the escalator ride out of the theater, I'm like, I distinctly remember going up the escalator thinking oh no, that movie was really good. And I haven't stopped thinking about it since then. I've been waiting for a chance to watch it again. Uh, it is, it's just fantastic. Um, I think it is on Amazon Prime currently. Oh, okay, that's good. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, she's had all, this is the first film of hers I've seen. She's been making films pretty much the whole decade. Hmm. But this one is is super great. The, the, actress who's in the lead is also tilda swinton's daughter and tilda swinton plays her mom in the oh, movie, really? <laughs> which is really fascinating cool. but she but tilda swinton's almost unrecognizable uh as this kind of prim and posh like almost dowdy kind of rich british lady and the guy who plays the boyfriend is just drop dead phenomenal um because he's not really nice and he is but he is still compelling and i i think it's amazing how this guy is able to be completely repulsive and still be charming and captivating, but without doing any like necessarily charming stuff. I don't know how to describe it, but it's the kind of thing where she describes the movie she wants to make and he just takes it apart. (laughs) And you're like, he's right, but he's also mean and she stays with him and you don't understand why. And like the whole movie's kind of like that. Um, it's it's great. I really just um, I I've been really fascinated by it, hmm. uh, and like I said, hope to see it again. Uh, that's been the the kind of runaway cool. uh, movie for for me. Um, did you, I guess neither of y'all got a chance to see? I've it, never but... even heard of it, so that this is great. Um, I mean, I like this the yeah, you on. list. <laughs> and do you think some of it is influenced by your experiences of film school? Like it's set in film school, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, not a, like there's there is that kind of element of it where you're watching like, oh man, yeah, there's there's an MFA program. Oh, that's yeah, that's that's a, <laughs> that's a student film shoot. Uh, yes, it definitely has those un you get those unpleasant flashbacks if you have been in an MFA program uh, for for film school for sure. Um, it, yeah, it is not. Um, so yeah, it's it's that all of that stuff rang very true. Um, and yeah, and I guess the things I did like the most this year, strange in, in a variety of of media, did wind up having these weird resonances with things from my younger years <laughs> that I would have preferred to have forgotten about. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so the souvenir is definitely one of those. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah, um, and then I guess like the other maybe super big movie that that really like got under my skin in a really nice way uh was once upon a time in hollywood yeah, i was gonna ask you if i you know saw this that. makes me kind of kind of basic I, I yeah i saw it four times whoa really uh, in in the oh, theater fascinating. yeah i saw I, it once 
Yeah, I mean, the, the fourth time I wasn't really planning on going to see it again, but I happened to be in Portland at a conference and a theater was showing it in 70 millimeter. Okay. And I thought, well, <laughs> I am, you know, You're I obliged. am not going to pass this mm-hmm. up. Uh, and that was a blast to see it in a packed theater on, on a 70 millimeter print. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that, I, I think that's a, just a fascinating movie that um, I I like, I really like thinking about it. I really like kind of living in the world of it mm-hmm. while it's going on. Yeah. And I, uh, I like the things about it that are frustrating. And I, and I really liked kind of wrestling with the movie over multiple viewings mm-hmm. to try to figure out why I liked it or why <laughs> it kind of is the way it is, uh, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, uh, really irritating my, uh, my wife quite a bit with with how much i i like it and how much our oscar party is going to be centered around once upon a time in hollywood themed stuff oh funny um flamethrowers yeah um... uh i think there might be a dish called hippie crisp uh that i need to figure out what that would be uh and then i think it's just gonna be a lot of me walking around uh with a pitcher a blender pitcher of margaritas yeah. in my hand uh and a, and a can and of a, beans in the other or something <laughs> yeah. How would you? Yeah. How would you rank yeah. it? Uh, did it change your ranking of Tarantino's films? Like, it w- would you put it in the top five? Mm. I, I would. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to and to yeah. I mean, I think Inglorious Bastards is is definitely the the top yeah, one for me. me too. And I and I think it would be probably after that. It's sort of. Pulp Fiction, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, those would probably be the the next ones in the in the rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of his stuff I doesn't hold up for me as well. Uh, I did watch uh, the lo- the longer version of Death Proof this year that I had never seen. Oh yeah, that's like the Grindhouse. Really enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, I had seen Grindhouse yeah, in the theater, uh, which has like the shorter version, but yeah. the longer the feature length version of Death Proof was really a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty high up there for for me. I think it's a it's a pretty um, kind of career defining movie in a lot of ways, and there are aspects of it that, looking back through it, you can kind of see how he is revisiting some things that he's done before and um, and putting a maybe a more definitive stamp on it. Uh, and from what he says, this this will be his second to last movie. Right. So I think it is very much concerned we'll with kind of endings and things like that. Yeah. Do you think Kill Bill 3 is going to be the final one? There's some stuff coming out this in the last week or two about that. Oh, I hadn't heard that. No, the last thing I had heard was that it might be a, he's trying to get on a do a Star Trek movie. Yeah, I saw that uh, too. <laughs> That'd be weird. Which like, I, I'm kind of like, if you're going to do that, I don't know. Like, I, I'm yeah. not super interested in that. Yeah, like, I don't but, think you uh, should count that in your, in your list of 10, you know, if you're going to uh-huh. do a franchise, <laughs> pre-existing franchise movie like that. Yeah, I, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I would like uh, to see Kill Bill. Yeah, but 3, so like, so do y'all saw y'all saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. Yeah. Did both of you get to see it? I or? saw it. Yeah. I, I have not. I'm I'm way behind. Sorry. I'll, I think we can generally okay. assume for any of these that Matt hasn't seen them. So um, I, I've only sorry, seen one sorry, other listener. Movie. <laughs> we'll get there eventually, but I've only seen one other movie. And, um, okay. Maybe we should intersperse with some books and then come back to the movies because oh, sure. There okay. Might be, there might yeah. be people listening to this who are like um like me and, i came you know, here for the books yeah they're they're you know not able to get out of, to the 
theater as frequently as yeah sure mm. mm-hmm. um okay matt well i, I did see inglorious bastards though several years ago mm-hmm. it was great <laughs> it's got to be seven years ago but. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say uh, for both of you, actually, before I answer this question, I'm going to ask both of you. I'm sure you're looking at a list of books that you read this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Give me your number one. What was the best reading experience you had? Overall, like not just a new book, but yeah. Yeah. Just overall. Just over, yeah. overall. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, I read Stoner this year. So oh that, my gosh, oh, I, love I love that. I haven't I read that, it. That does it. I've had it on my shelf for like eight years, and I still haven't got to it. But I'm thinking of just getting it out of the library here in New Zealand while we're here. So you saying that incentivizes it even more. Uh, for me, I would probably say it's a toss-up between Novel Explosives and Stephen Florida by Gabe Habash. Mm. I read both of those this year. Uh, Lost Empress, which Matt, you mentioned in a previous year's episode I read too, and that was very strong as well. So those three are all pretty uh Yeah, I actually think close all three of those we might have discussed last year, maybe. Yeah, but yeah. we did. Yeah. I know that, you know, Novel Explosives, we had Jim on this year, so that, mm-hmm. that made a big impression. And yeah. I still would rank that as the best novel I've read in years mm-hmm. uh and i would be very willing to reread that book at some point i loved it so much yeah totally um to mike's point about stoner um there is a new book out from university of texas press called uh something like the man who wrote the perfect novel or oh, yeah something like that and it's a it's a biography of john williams who wrote stoner mm. and oh cool i would also recommend john williams other books which are that at least the ones that i've read are butcher's crossing and uh augustus and his first kind of experimental novel nothing but night is actually pretty bad so Mm. maybe don't read that one it's sort of like (laughs) a b movie um matt luder and i discussed this at length when he bought it on sale from the new york review of books press Mm -hmm. but John Williams and I uh, went went to the same university, University of Denver. Oh, cool. He was oh, cool. a, a professor there, and we did not overlap. He died, I think, the year before I started. Hmm. Um, so I just missed him, but he was one of the first editors of the Denver Quarterly, and I have the Denver Quarterly issues that he worked on in the 1960s. Um, and, you know, won the National Book Award for Augustus. So he was a big presence there and stoner if you have not read it is uh about a man who was born i think mike correct me if i'm wrong about like the 1890s late 1890s and starts at the university of missouri Hmm. and Mm -hmm. um you know comes from a farming community but becomes a professor loves the academic life and so it's not about weed no believe it or not no oh i thought it was this whole time It'll get you high, though, man. <laughs> you could probably smoke the book, but yeah. make it into uh, a pipe. It's, it's you know, it's a, it's a cradle to grave sort of bulldozer. Oh, yeah. It'll feel, the, yeah, it'll it'll feel the same kind of existential conversations that <laughs> other substances might, and you don't even have to do Partake any of, of that. Them. <laughs> just sit, sit and read a read a book and be like, so what is life about anyway? Oh yeah, cool. You can do all of that without having to light any kind of fire uh, at all. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I tried explaining it to my students because I tell them about what I'm reading, like when I start and finish a book. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, I can tell you what happens in this book, but it won't in any way capture the emotional and intellectual appeal and pleasure mm -hmm. of reading this thing. Like, it's just, it's a, a very ordinary story written in a fairly ordinary, straightforward way, but the cumulative effect of it is where you're in the last 20 or 30 pages, you're hitting these paragraphs that are just dropping the heaviest things on you about what a life adds up to that you have to put the book down and, and just say like, I, I need, I need to read that paragraph three or four more times. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can go to the next paragraph. And, and then I wanted it was, and you knew like it's gonna be this a character's entire life, right? And so you know what's gonna happen to the character at the end. And I'm like, this is the one book where I wish a character would find immortality, because it would mean the book would never end, <laughs> and I could just keep reading about what happens to this guy. Wow, um, that's true. I felt that the was same way. that was how I felt about it. Oh, wow, cool. What uh, what year did that book come out? Roughly, it's like the fifties, like sixty five. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like early 60s. Yeah. And I had put off reading it for a while because of all the hype. Yeah. And I know this is going to sound so bad, but I I feel like it's not as good as the hype. It's better. <laughs> I and also love talking about is. hype for a book that came out like 50 years ago, too. <laughs> yeah. There's something funny about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it really is the the sort of, I think it's it's probably bigger this century than it was last century. Yeah. In, well, the, in I, the culture. Yeah. Well, I don't think it got rediscovered until the New York Review of Books republished. Mm -hmm. it. Oh, yeah. And okay. When it got republished, you know, a lot of booksellers loved it and hand sold it, and mm. it got on a lot of lists and got a lot of attention then. And like I say, that's how this biography of John Williams came to be. And uh, for anyone who hasn't read it, I, I, like Mike, I strongly recommend picking it up. Um, for me, it has a personal resonance in that my great-grandfather was in Missouri around the same time, went to university. I wouldn't say had a similar life, but almost. Hmm. And, you know, of people of that time, this is sort of a capsule biography of one person alive, I don't know, around the 20th century, beginning of the 20th century. And, you know, what challenges there are in the university life most of us have mm -hmm. dealt with a little bit if not a lot mm -hmm. um i think this book goes to show it's always been there hmm. cool and i know like there's things about it where i'm reading like oh man if i tell people what this is about and how much i like it they're like oh god this is like the most english teacher book of all time <laughs> and i'm like yeah you're right and i don't care yeah. like it, it is i i think it probably it, it is sure it's an English teacher book, but I think it also I would hope that it would have resonance for any human being career, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that someone would devote their life and time to and invest meaning in, you yeah. know. And it just he happens to be an English teacher. So that was Mike's. You would say that was your most pleasurable reading experience of the year, Stoner. Yeah, yeah, cool. I, yeah. I mean, for sure. Yeah. What about you, Dave? You you mentioned several books. I would say Novel Explosives then, for sure, for a book that I read this year. Came out last year, right? Or two years ago, 2017? Yep. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Novel Explosives, that's the one. Uh, but we've explored that a lot on the show. Um, a funny thing that happens to me with my reading in a given year is that typically what will happen is I'll talk to you for the year in review episode, and then I'll 
you know, write down a lot of the books that you talk about, and then I'll read those in the following year. And that happened to me too this year with uh, a lot of the books that Kyle Beachy mentioned a few episodes mm-hmm. ago when we talked to him. So I read like Tomb Song by Julian Herbert, Tough Lahoma by Christian Tabordo, and Lost Children Archive by Valeria Luiselli. He he recommended all of these, and I just like wrote them down and went and read most of them. So that tends to be how my reading year goes. <laughs> so thank you, Matt, and uh, and thank you, yeah. Kyle. I did read another cool book this year called Split Tooth by Tanya Tagak, who's a Canadian Inuit writer. Uh, she came out with this book that's um, like a hybrid of like poetry, mythology, and autobiography. And it's like in terms of form, it's really interesting what she's doing. And it's also weaves like very fascinating magical realism elements into it. So there's this one scene where she makes love to to the Aurora Borealis, and ends up having like twin children as a result of it. Like she gets impregnated by the the night sky. It's wild and very cool. Um, she won, I think, several awards for that. I don't read a lot of Canadian fiction, <laughs> uh, but Split Tooth was one that came out this year that mm. that landed well for me. It's good. I think that Doris Lessing has a book about a sentient star. Oh yeah, similar. To that sounds Mr. nice. There's a star that's sentient. Yeah. Um, but I'll go ahead and say for me the the best reading experience I had was the new Chris Ware book, Rusty Brown. Mm. I would and, I would like to read that. I like Chris Ware a lot. Oh, I like him a lot as well, mm-hmm. and I went to the Texas Book Festival as a spectator this year, partly to see him on a panel with Seth and both of their new books are incredible. Seth's new book is called Clyde fans, which I, I strongly recommend that book as well. Mm. But, uh, Chris Ware's new book, rusty Brown. Um, it gathers together a couple of strands, probably three strands of narrative that he's been working on for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I followed his career for a long time. So there's some of it that was not new to me and some of it that was new to me. And that's partly what impressed me is that, you know, of the Rusty Brown stuff that he's published, a lot of it did not make it in here. This is all set in one, I think in one day Hmm. at one school in Omaha, Nebraska in the 1970s. And Chris Ware himself plays a character in the book. Hmm. Rusty Brown is a character and his father plays a character in the book. Um, And it's really something, um, you know, to read someone who's at the top of their game in terms of writing and being able to write as they draw the experience of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I loved that. And, you know, I don't think Dave last year on the show, I mentioned, or maybe even the year before I mentioned the other Chris Ware book, I really loved monograph. And that book, that book is huge, man. It's like, it's like four feet tall. Like you gotta, <laughs> you gotta get this book. Do either of you gotta know, know this book, like monograph? Um, is it red and no. is it red and black? No, it's like got a yellow spine. Oh, okay. And I've got a red and black Chris Ware book that's very large. I think that's Much. one of the Acme novel, yeah, novel Acme, yeah, that's li- right. novelty library ones. Yeah, but the monograph book is even bigger, even mm. bigger than building stories, and it is. Uh, kind of a personal memoir, got a lot of his personal photos in it. I highly recommend that book as well. Um, but Rusty Brown just coming out this year, like I felt such pleasure every day sitting down to read that book. <laughs> and, you know, of all of the other books that I read, 
that's the one that I was like, I really could not wait to, to get back to. Hmm. And I look forward to reading again and again. I really love that book better than Jimmy Corrigan, better than building stories or hmm. pretty much anything he's done. I like that way of describing reading a book of it, that it gives you pleasure to sit and read it. it. <laughs> so that's a good pleasure. Yeah. I read uh, a f- the forthcoming novel by Adam Levin this year, Bubblegum, which is coming out in the spring, which Matt, you read also. And there are portions of that book that gave me great joy uh, and pleasure to read as well. Like sections where I was laughing out loud and all- and like almost crying laughing because uh, his, <laughs> his sense of diction and colloquial, uh, the stuff that he comes up with is just jaw-droppingly funny. Um, that's the writer of the novel, The Instructions, which I've talked about ad nauseum before on the show so i'm i'm thinking about rereading that book this year as well purely for the yeah. pleasure the pleasure aspect that you mentioned yeah i agree so mike let's let's go through a few more books on your list i'm i'm yeah. curious to hear like yeah 80 83 to go five? mike <laughs> we've heard one of yours oh right <laughs> um well for books that came out this year um the the two big ones uh I don't want to derail everything and, and mention that I read that Charles Manson book, Chaos. I'm going to put that aside. <laughs> Pretend I didn't say that. Fair enough. But I, for fiction, I read Trust Exercise by Susan Choi, and I read The Topeka School by Ben Lerner. Uh, yeah. And I would say that those two books would be the most two of the more pleasurable experiences of this year mm-hmm. or any year when I would read those books. <laughs> yeah. And like I, like I hinted at earlier, part of it is both of those books – do remind me of a lot of things that I've experienced mm-hmm. uh, because trust exercise is all set in the world of acting classes and theater and things like that. And it is remarkably authentic to the sort of sadistic psychological <laughs> mind game kind of world of an acting workshop. Right. And then the Topeka school is set in the world of high debate. school speech and debate, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, which I, I did, I was, I never did debate, but I did do, one of the events that the learner character Adam disparages uh, original oratory and declamation. Those were my two events and they get mentioned in the book for the purpose of being trash talked as sort of like not good events. Um, But, and then reading it, finding out that Ben Lerner and I were probably at the same speech tournament in the (laughs) summer of 1996 uh, because we're exactly the same age. Uh, but the details about about policy debate that he works in there, because a lot of my friends were policy debaters, they are all oh unbelievably gosh. spot on. <laughs> and just, you know, where you then you start reading, thinking, oh, is he going to mention this thing with the pin flip? And then like the next page, yep, he got it. Um, and so, yeah, that uh, that book was, and I mean, I know, like, I, I am... I know it's not fashionable necessarily to like Ben Lerner very much, but I um, I think he's getting better with every <laughs> book, um, and I uh, I really really adored this book a lot oh, cool. and think that for the purpose of this podcast, I kind of see where it goes as he's picking up where like Wallace leaves off in Oblivion. Mm. I think there's a lot of resonance with the Topeka School and something like the Suffering Channel or something like Good Old Neon, Mm. where uh, Lerner is very much interested in the ability that language has to um, sort of break through to other people in 
important and meaningful ways, but also how people choose to use language to obfuscate what really matters. Mm. And he's kind of blending a lot of those things that Wallace was doing at the end of his career in Oblivion and the Pale King, where it's starting to take that political turn toward kind of how between uh, like interpersonal connection, but also how that then translates into political engagement. And um, particularly the, the, these two big moments in the Topeka school, I saw him really uh, shooting for that. And as far as I can tell, you know, hitting it as well as anything that, that I've read in a while. Hmm. Um, and so I, I was, I was really moved by that, by that book. Um, so you trust it. exercise. I also found really moving, but it was, uh, it, it's been a longer, I've read it like six or seven months ago. So it's oh, a little yeah. fuzzier right. to me. Do you say you liked it better than 1004? I did. Yeah. yeah. And I liked 1004 quite a bit. Yeah, um, good. but yeah, it, um, there's things about the Topeka school where I guess like a lot of the criticisms maybe that Lerner has gotten about being so navel gazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I see the book kind of in some ways as responding to some of that stuff because he does inhabit <laughs> other people's voices yeah. and he does uh, broaden the scope of what he's looking at without abandoning any of the sort of things he'd done before. And I thought that was really fascinating too, that you're watched, kind of looking at a, a writer maturing into this other thing. Uh, without losing any of their um, the things that made them an authentic and unique voice in the first place. Hmm. Cool. Well, that book's definitely I on agree. my on my short list of books to get out of the library soon. Matt, you read it as well. Yeah, I yeah. loved uh, all of Ben Lerner's books, and you know, this one there was. I think the first chapter was serialized to the New Yorker, and I was just sort of like, mm, okay, I wasn't blown away by the first bit of it that was uh i think the first chapter. oh with the the with the boat and oh, the yeah. where he walks into the wrong house oh yeah. i i adored that i I, re- I thought that was great it was great but also you see where i'm coming from where it's like oh well kind of a rich kid in yes in kansas like it's not nothing really happens and like i don't know man i'm skeptical like <laughs> it's a little different than his other books right but, yeah, it it would not bode well. Where you're like, oh yeah, I wonder what he was like in high school, right? That's not what that's not no. what most people are asking about no. him. No, and you know the the Topeka school is a is a thinly veiled description of the miniature clinic and the perspective changes between his parents and him, and I actually thought that was one of the more interesting parts of the narrative. Um, and mm-hmm. that actually is a bit like one of the Jonathan Bombach um, books, actually about um, you know contentious parents and switching from the mom's point of view to the dad's point of view to the child's point of view. Um, and you could see that was very big, like when he was growing up, like in the eighties, that was a popular, I don't know, trope. And you know, the way that he pulls it back to his perception of masculinity and the other doctors who were there and even how that relates to, you know, the problems we have now with, um, conservatism, uh, I thought it was really genius. So yeah, I, I would highly recommend that book. Um, I think we've talked about other Ben Lerner books in the past. Mm-hmm. I would put 1004 very high on my overall list. I liked it better than Tocha Station. Hmm. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, like I say, Topeka School is on my list of things I wanted to read this year and is high on a lot of people's list for like best book of the year. So right. I, I don't know how much we have to add to it. That's going <laughs> to 
spur someone beyond of what they could have already heard about it but right. i loved it well what, what you did say though makes me really want to see a noah Baumbach adaptation of the topeka School. oh that's a cool oh, wow. idea uh yeah i mean like not to make a call back to earlier <laughs> stuff in the podcast but like th- you saying that made me think oh god he would be the perfect person yep. to, adapt to make uh, yeah. a, a film out of a ben lerner novel yeah that makes sense i guarantee fucking to you he's read it like, no, no doubt no doubt right uh yeah uh speaking of ben lerner did you guys read on earth we're briefly gorgeous by ocean vuong who's a good friend of his no it's I read, on my list to read i haven't read it yet but... i read that this year i liked it it's good it's very moving tragic um you know all those words you just use to describe things that are sad and beautiful it does all them well well, and Matt or Dave, did y'all either of y'all read Trust Exercise, no. the I, National I, Book Award winning novel? I'm actually novel? No. in the middle of it right now, oh, cool. and I absolutely, oh, I'm I absolutely, so jealous of you. <laughs> I absolutely love this book, and you know, I expect to finish it this week. Um, and you know, I was pulled into it right away. Um, yeah. Anyone who doesn't know the setup, the setup is really good. Um, it's about two teenage kids. Uh, boy and a girl at kind of a elite performing arts high school and they have this mentor guy who leads them along in their sort of burgeoning acting career Hmm. and uh, i don't know mike you take it from there like i've i've read like i say about half the book and i absolutely love it i'm a so are you on section one or section two or section three i'm in section one Oh, so <laughs> here is sick here. burn, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can edit all this out this, later because this is totally. Well, no, here, here's all like I will say. No, no, no. Here's no. It, it, this is perfect because here's here's what I will say about trust exercise and what I loved about it. Section one, I thoroughly adored, and then what happens is every section of the book, it like pulls back the curtain to reveal another layer that recontextualizes what you've read already. And then you get another section that pulls back the curtain on that. Oh, that's And um, so it, it is, it is fascinating where it's like books have in movies have done this gimmick before and it feels like a gimmick. And this one, you just feel like you're opening a new book that, suddenly is telling you about the book you just read and um it's awesome it it is it's a really cool device and i i like um it's something she does really well in a lot of her books where you think you're doing one thing and then suddenly something else starts like the the patty hurst book you think you know what's happening but then the point of view she tells the story from it changes the whole thing or the um the unabomber book uh person of interest right does the same thing where you think you've got a handle on and then suddenly the last third of it goes off in this other direction uh she's got this remarkable grip on narrative where there's enough confidence to know that she could just write the a book following that first thread and nobody would complain and then she's like you know what i'm gonna do this other thing and and blow them all out of the water and and she does it and sticks the landing every time it's really cool (laughs) oh that's good that's gonna that's gonna go to the top of my list now 
Yeah, she's a big deal, and I wish I wish she got more. Like, I'm I'm glad. Like, I hope this National Book Award brings people back to her earlier stuff oh, yeah. because I think she's been a major deal who should be in a lot of these bigger conversations about the most important writers in America mm-hmm. right now. Cool. Yeah, I I'm really glad she won the National Book Award because it brought this book, you know, straight to the front of my queue. And I hope other people read it. Um, I'm going to go through like, uh, cause we're, you know, we've been recording now for about five hours. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go through. We're going to have to do the 2020 uh, list in just a minute, but we're yeah. going to be like, I didn't read or hear or see anything because yeah. we were doing this podcast the whole time. That's right. So I just want to go through and like blow through my list right quick. And then we can talk about if any of it interests, if there's any overlap. Cool. I'm gonna basically turn all my cards over and then yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. See see what lands on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, I'm all in. Here's my other books that I want to mention. One is Susan Orlean's book, The Library Book, mm-hmm. um, which is about the Los Angeles Central Public Library and the fire that they experienced. I love that book. Mm. Uh, another one is a kind of bizarre book that I've recommended to a couple of people called. August Ninth Fog by Catherine Scanlon, which is a very small um, kind of nonfiction found object book, about 100 pages. And I will probably read from that in a minute. Cool. Uh, another book is our previous guest on the podcast, Nico Giacoboni. Mm-hmm. He had a book come out right, this year called The Crossed Out Notebook. Um, and I absolutely loved reading that book. Anyone interested in film and screenwriting, I think would also be interested in it. Mm. Um, I also am a huge fan of David Markson and one of his, um, collaborators, I would say, or correspondence was Laura Sims, who did a book of letters with him. And she had a novel come out this year. She's a poet, but she had a novel out this year called Looker. And I really loved that book. Uh, It's set in the West Village of Manhattan where I used to live. Um, And it's about her kind of spying on one of her neighbors who is a famous actress. I really recommend that book. Uh, And then the uh, probably one of my other like top two, three books this year is a book that I was dying to read by a woman named Brenda Lozano called Loop. And it was published by Charco Press, which is a new press out of the UK. And I was waiting for a publisher to bring out some more of her full-length works and I finally got one and it is phenomenal. I would compare it with like Jenny Offel's books or Valeria oh, cool. books, mm-hmm. Department of Speculation. If you know that book, oh, I would yeah. compare. Yeah. Loop. Yes. I would think Loop is on the level of that. Um, and then the one book that I read that was not published in 2019 that I really loved and if you've not read it, you should absolutely go and read it, is Rachel Cusk's book called The Country Life. Oh, yeah. And I've read a bunch of other, you know, Rachel Cusk's current trilogy that's out now, starting with Outline. But her previous books are all phenomenal, and I had not gone back and read them, but I read Outline, and I mean, The Country Life I had read, and I was blown away by how fucking amazing that book was. Hmm. So strongly, strongly recommend The Country Life by Rachel Cusk. The Ransom Center just got her archive, right? That's that's correct. Really? Yeah. April of this year, they announced that, and Rachel Cusk was here. I missed the reading, but 
Um, yes, that's right. Her archive is at the Ransom Center now. So that's basically it of what I wanted to talk about, except cool. for maybe one other book you guys might have read, which is called Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino. Nope. Staff for oh, Anthony no. Yoker. It's a book of essays. And it's phenomenal. And uh, I would love to talk about it. I got a ton of publicity. So, hmm. like, Gia isn't doing okay, but I, re- I really <laughs> Yeah, I saw it book. at the bookstore today. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, I really love that book. It's phenomenal, and you should pick it up. Nice. Every essay in there, I think, is great. Um, but that's basically my 90% of my year end list. I have maybe one or two other, three other things. But hmm. um, any other crossovers? Dave, did any of that resonate with you? Uh, no, I've I've heard of a couple of those people, but I have not read any of the books that you just mentioned. <laughs> How about you, Mike? Nope, nope. Well, that's good. This is why we do this, right? <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe you yeah, read absolutely. some stuff I didn't read, and and vice versa, and uh, maybe that lands for listeners too. Uh, Mike, what were a few yeah. other highlights from your year for reading? Uh, okay, yeah. So big highlights. I did a lot of New York Review of Books reading uh, <laughs> this this year. Um, so I'll run through some of those. I read Dorothy Hughes's book uh, In a Lonely Place, which was turned into a movie by Nicholas Ray that has Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham in it. I've seen the movie several times and liked it. But uh, this is a remarkable thing where both the book and the movie are masterpieces and they have almost no relation to each other at all. <laughs> and uh, I really loved reading the book thinking, oh, I kind of I think I'll know what's happening in this book. And no, because the, the movie takes the title and the scenario and that's about it. And it's really great, uh, you know, mid-century or like 40s uh, hard-boiled crime fiction, mm. uh, which I have a real soft spot for. I read uh, Zama by um, oh, yeah. uh, Anto- Antonio de Benedetti. Is that right? Um, yeah. Also, and I haven't seen. Yeah. 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 And I haven't, which like came out last year, which is supposed to be the best movie of last year, which I have not had a chance to see yet uh, by Lucretia Martel. And I loved the book. I thought the book was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big book that I guess, two other big books that blew me away. Uh, one was I, I finally d- dove into Clarice Lispector. And I read The Passion According to G.H., uh, where that's the one where she is in her maid's room and sees like a cockroach in the closet and like it sends her into an existential crisis uh, as she's <laughs> like squishing the roach in the closet door. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. And then uh, I read a play called Mr. Burns by Anne Washburn. Um, are either of y'all familiar with this one? No, no I, I know the, um, play, cl- the Lispector very well, but not, not this. What was the name of the so play? Mr. Burns, and it's called a post-electric play. And what it imagines <laughs> is that the world has basically ended. And the first act is a group of people sitting around a campfire trying to reconstruct a Simpsons episode <laughs> that is a parody of Cape Fear. And so they're trying to get the episode down and tell each other what happened. And I'm not necessarily spoiling anything, but the every act keeps jumping ahead in time until this Simpsons episode has become the foundational text of a new civilization <laughs> that they that they are acting out what? with no understanding of what the Simpsons even was. Cuz that's an um, actual Simpsons episode. It's phenomenal. Right? It is an yeah. actual Simpsons episode. Oh my god! But like, as they're talking about it, they're also having to like reconstruct Cape Fear and reconstruct the original Cape Fear. Um, 
and like so it, it is just this amazing thing about like the power of stories and why we tell stories cool. to each other and stuff like that and um yeah it's it's fascinating um i really really loved um the experience of, of reading that and i'm gonna i'm gonna try i got assigned a new course at uh at loyola this spring that is about writing about literature and forms and adaptations and stuff like that. Oh, nice. And I am going to teach this play in it and uh, watch the Sim- we're going to watch the Simpsons episode. And <laughs> I'm thinking we might also watch both versions of Cape Fear oh, yeah. um, and just sort of look at this thing mutating over, uh-huh. you know, potentially centuries um, if we follow what the play is doing. Um, That's fun. And then I guess the uh, nonfiction book I will mention that I really liked is Gabriel Garcia Marquez's Clandestine in Chile, uh, which is a nonfiction interview with a filmmaker who uh, had been exiled from Chile, and he sneaks back into Chile to make a documentary about life under the Pinochet regime, um, where he gets three different film crews from three different countries, none of whom know about the existence of the other. (laughs) And he is directing them Chile thinks that they're making a tourism documentary, but really they're documenting how awful life under the Pinochet regime is. And he is, so it's basically like part filmmaking uh, book, part spy novel, part heist movie. Um, And uh, it's pretty short. It's like a hundred pages, but uh, I, I really loved it because it's, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like if you put Argo and like Ocean's Eleven together, uh, it's that it's that kind of a story. Um, and it was really good. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that quite a bit. That sounds fun. Um, you know, there's more. There's more. There's like 80 other books, but like, you know, we can talk about other stuff. Um, but those are the, the real highlights. Hmm. Awesome. That Marquez reminds me of a Ned Bowman book called uh, Madness is Better Than Defeat. Have either of you read this? No. Mm. Uh, no. It's about a film crew who goes to Central America to make this film, and uh, they, you know, they're there for a couple months, and then they get kind of stuck there for a couple more months, and then they've been there for half a year, and then they've been there for two years, and then four years, and six years, and seven years, eight years. They've been <laughs> oh, there for wow. like ten years, and they start their own so- sort of society, and they actually start making their own film strips like making silver and mining elements and shit and like the cia (laughs) gets involved in thinking that they are some sort of subversive government um but like oh man it's really phenomenal book um but Hmm. they get stuck that sounds very much my shit yeah Um, they start to get on that yeah ned bowman and he's a british writer and uh this book came out a few years ago um, but I just love that the fact that like, they don't give up on making the movie, like they're there to make a movie <laughs> mm-hmm. and they're just like, well, we got to make, how do you actually make like film strips? Like, how do you make celluloid? <laughs> and they're just like, uh-huh. well, self-sufficient mind silver, you know, <laughs> uh, they just don't give up. They're just like, okay, well, let's go make some celluloid. That's amazing. <laughs> I want to go hey, to there. <laughs> um, all right, Dave, let's get your list, uh, before, I, I go to sleep. Yeah, okay. Like I got three, I got a few more that I read this year. I read a couple non-fictions this year, which is kind of rare for me lately. I read uh, Between the World and Me by Tanahasi Coates, mm. which was uh, yeah know, so powerful. Um, I read a couple books by Chimamanda and Goze Adichie. I read Americana mm. by her, which is quite a big novel. 
um, very different than stuff that I would usually read. Like it's not a postmodern, uh, you know, self-aware kind of book, like the things that I typically tend towards. Um, but it was, it's a really cool book about someone's experiencing experience moving from a country in Africa to America and going to university here and then going back. Um, it's one of Rachel's favorite books. So I was like, all right, I got to read this. Um, and I read We Should All Be Feminists by her as well, which is like a really short uh, nonfiction. Um, and I read A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki, who's a writer that lives on oh, Vancouver Island. We've talked about it before. We actually. have. Yeah, that's right. I think you mentioned it like two years ago on one yeah. of these episodes. Yeah. Tim Persson, our, uh, one of our friends and guests, uh, teaches that class in Victoria. And so, um, so I read that. I quite liked it. And then I read a book that Jeff Seavers put me onto called The, the Raw Shark Text by Stephen Hall. Have you guys heard of that? So, what's it about? He's a UK writer. Uh, it's a it's a very strange book. It's about a guy who's being chased by what's called a Ludovician shark, which is like an information shark. So there's like this, it's like in the ether. It's like this shark made of data, but it's hunting him to kill him. And so it's about him and this other woman who are like trying to run away from it and destroy it. It's it's a very weird. It's too, it's too re- that's too real. It's a very man. weird premise, it. and there's a lot of cool textual stuff happening on the page, um, in terms of form. Um, I don't know if it landed like amazingly well for me, where I would recommend it to everybody. But if you're interested in like really postmodern f- uh, form kind of stuff, it's it does some cool things, um, visually and with the metaphorical concept of like information that can kill you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was everything that I read this year. I've now mentioned. I also read this book by Natalia Ginsburg, who's one of my favorites. I don't know if you guys have read her, no, but she's an Italian mm-hmm. writer, Ginsburg, and she has a New York review of books, um, book published called family lexicon. But the new book that came out this year is from new directions called happiness as such. Hmm. And if you haven't read her, you know, I, I think I've said on previous years, one of my all-time favorite writers is Primo Levi. And I would put Natalia Ginsburg in that category with um, Primo Levi. Hmm. I think that she's that good. So if you haven't read her, there's a new opportunity this year with um, New Directions and Happiness as such. Cool. Um, I would also give... Uh, you know, a, a shout out to the people who make the um, a series called Picador Modern Classics, which I buy. There's four that come out in a series every year, and I buy them all four every year. And the ones that I bought this year that I really loved were Shirley Jackson's Complete Stories. I would say oh, this yeah. is the year like I I discovered Shirley Jackson's other stuff besides the lottery. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna Haunt, say. And, the, and the Haunting of Hill House. Like her other short stories are just phenomenal and like really blew me away. Mm. And when I went reading about them, I found a really ridiculous quote from Harold Bloom who said, <laughs> she does not count as part of the Western canon. And I was like, well because like he exceeded excludes her thanks bro (laughs) you know his his argument was really weak i'm not going to go into it but it was basically saying that she didn't have much depth and i just really disagree (laughs) with his assessment Uh 
Um, the other book that I'm not completely done with, but I started reading in this year is uh, Lucy Elman's Ducks Newberry Port. I was going to bring that up uh, as like the book that we haven't all read this year, probably. Well, but deserves I, like to I be say, talked I'm, about. I'm into it. I'm into it, but it's it's slow going for me. I mean, yeah. It's not like how far into you? I sit uh, maybe a hundred and something pages, yeah. hundred and twenty pages, mm-hmm. um, and this is a book. 800 pages right so it's going to take a while yeah but mostly one sentence mostly stream of thought mostly sentences that begin with the phrase the fact that yeah so she'll say like you know the fact that blah 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 blah, the fact that yeah most of my exposure to that book has come through one of our listeners banshee beats uh bryce he posts like five five ish photos a day of like shots of the page that he's underlined from that book. And I, so I read them, the parts that he's underlined. And so that's, that's my experience of that book so far. And I like what I see. No, it's phenomenal. Mm. And I, I'm sort of taking my time with it because it is so enjoyable. Um, And I know one of our, our other previous guests, Matt Luter is reading it right now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So Matt and I talk about it sometimes, but Mm -hmm. I really have enjoyed you know, I'm hoping that over the break, my goal is to get to the halfway point, which is, you know, 350, 360 pages into it. Yeah. And um, I'm hoping that over the holidays, I have time to just sit and enjoy it. But last time I sat and read like 30, 40 pages at a stretch and it was it was very great. So I wish <laughs> that I was done with it and could say I've read it in 2019. Right. But I'm yeah. not there yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Mike? What are you cur- what are you currently reading right now at the moment? Uh Right now, I'm I'm rereading a book called *The Great Divorce* by Valerie Martin, uh, and she's one of my favorite writers. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, this one, I'm only about thirty or forty pages in mm. at this point, but uh, it's it's wonderful. Mm. Um, C.S. Lewis has a book I, of the I, exact I, same title. Oh yeah. really? Um, yeah. It. Um, I like. I I adore her like plots, but and and also at the sentence level. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just really great to kind of glide over what she's doing and you know uh, kind of savor each sentence, but then also like you want to keep reading because you know the next one's gonna be really good too. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's um, it's kind of this this three part story about a one woman is is going to be going through a, a literal divorce, but then there's also she's reading about the divorce that humans have made between themselves and nature. And then there is a young woman who is, uh, and she's like an, um, a zoologist who takes care of sick animals at the Audubon zoo in new Orleans. There is another woman who is convinced that she is having episodes where she turns into a Panther. Uh, and Mm. then there is this story in the 19th century in, uh, Louisiana up near St. Francisville, uh, about on a plantation about a woman who, uh, attacks her husband in a cat-like manner uh, and murders him and so you know it's going to jump around from those different stories and so she kind of dabbles in like the gothic and the postmodern with sort of equal uh abandon <laughs> uh, and i just uh, it, i i adore uh, i love all of her books um and and this is one that i remember liking a lot but also have not read and you know, 15 years or something Hmm. like that. So I'm really happy to be reading it. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah. I'm currently reading, um, the secret history by Donna Tartt, which it's the first book by her that I've read. And I was just describing this to Mike before we, 
before we got on the call that it's set in 2008, but it feels like it's set in 1908 by how the prose is and how like the way that the way that she writes about the world that they're in. There's no mention of the internet. Cars are spoken of, but it seems like they could be from like the 20s or something. Um, so it's a very like very cool experience reading this book because you know that it's contemporary, but it feels very old timey. And uh, there's it's about some students at a university in Vermont who they're in like a elite Greek class together. So there's a lot of talk of like the Greek classics and Homer. And uh, so it's very like highbrow in terms of references and it's scholarly and all that kind of stuff. But it's like turning into like a, a murder mystery kind of plot thing. Uh, so that's been that's been good so far. I'll probably finish that in the next week or two over Christmas here. You didn't see the uh, the Goldfinch? Oh, uh, yeah. The, the, the movie came out. I have not seen it. I've seen a trailer. No. And I haven't. I haven't read it either. Uh, Rachel's read it though, and she really, really liked it. Have you read the Goldfinch? Book? Honestly, I, I gave up. Oh, did I you? gave up in the middle of it. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I'll keep you posted on how the secret history is. Maybe, maybe it'll be. Mike, did you read the Goldfinch? I have not. No, I have not read any Donna Tart um, at all. No. Um. I mean, for the record, I just mentioned Gia Tolentino, Catherine Scanlon, Susan Orley, and Rachel Cusk, Laura Sims, Brenda Lozano, but I did not like the, the what's her name? Goldfinch. Donna Tart. There you go. Won, a, won the Pulitzer, like though, right? Don't care. <laughs> Thought she, you know, this is a really bad comment, and it's especially coming from someone who likes Wallace, but like, thought she could have edited some shit out. And... <laughs> You know, the, the the Goldfinch was, like, designed for people like me, where I love it. I love Dutch art, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of it is set around museums, especially around paintings, okay. especially around um, Dutch artists. I absolutely love Vermeer, the way that, like, John Updike writes about it, but also other art historians. And I just felt like that book um, was a little bit, unbelievable hmm. it's been a long time since i read i read secret history like oh you have read it ago, Dave, okay so cool 20 years ago yeah, it came out like, in like 92 I, or 91 oddly it's dedicated to the... brett easton ellis which is a bit off yeah, which is a bit off-putting they all for went to bennington like together <laughs> yeah oh yeah that explains it they were all part of that crowd like bennington right in the early 90s mm-hmm. but you know that crowd that crowd i don't actually <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like Southern Gothic, right? So it's it's classified as like Southern Gothic yeah. novel. And I thought, oh, that's great. I love Southern Gothic. This is going to be great. Mm-hmm. And I was just sort of like, man, I just don't care. <laughs> and it was really it was really hard for me to finish that book. So good luck. The Secret History. It was hard for you to finish. Okay. Huh. I'm, I'm digging yeah. it. I'm like 250 pages in. I'm like, I'm liking it a lot. Okay. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Cool. Any final thoughts um, on books for 2019, you guys? They're good. They're good. Re- reading is, I like reading books. is cool. This year. I'm, on the re- I'm on the record as strongly favoring books. <laughs> yeah, I think we are too. Hey, Matt? Uh, I think so. Some I'm going to say one more yeah. thing about a book that I mentioned, which is called August 9th Fog. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is a book that I've begun to treat a bit like a devotional <laughs> and it says, uh, 15 years ago, Catherine Scanlon found a stranger's diary at an estate auction 
a small town. The owner of the diary was an 86-year-old woman when she began recording the details of her life in this little book. And then Scanlon basically started playing with the sentences of the diary and dissected it, rearranged the, the words, and it became essentially her own composition, uh, which is now the book that we have called August Night Fog, like I say, about mm -hmm. 100 pages. Um, so there are no dates. It's divided into seasons. Um, and I'm going to read one, maybe a couple pages of it right quick. Cool. Because this starts out around the end of the year, um, the beginning of the year. She says, Happy New Year. Burr, burr, burr. Alvira, a cold. Harold, sleep. Few snowflakes and Eve. Emma didn't get home. All right, to the next page. She says, clear, nice winter day, not doing much today. Little squirrel came this a.m., and he sure likes cornbread. <laughs> had letter, had letter from Bertha. She better and contented out there. And the next entry is just eye painting, clouding at noon. And that's basically the book. So it's stuff like that hmm. all throughout the book. Um, cool. That's nice. And I absolutely love the book, and I recommend it to anyone who sort of likes prose poetry. Hmm. Cool. Um, I don't know if we're going back to movies or music now, but I have very limited contributions, so I'm gonna take a <laughs> quick nap. Okay, let's let's put a bow on uh, on film, and then we can go to TV and then music. How's that sound? Okay. All, all sections sure. of which will be much briefer than the book section because. After all, this is a literature podcast, I suppose. <laughs> did anyone see Midsummer? I saw that one. That's the only one. I, I, I did see Midsummer. Midsummer? What's that one? I don't think I did. Uh, it's Ari Aster's uh, new film. He made Hereditary. Uh, and this one is kind of like a spin on, or it's in the same world as something like The Wicker Man. Oh, okay, I'm Googling uh, it. I have not seen this. Uh, yeah, it's a like a this woman has suffered a, a recent loss in her life mm -hmm. and then her she tags along with her boyfriend to go research with him and his buddies to research like midsummer festivals in sweden in scandinavia yeah. and uh they get there and it's very clear that things are not right and mm -hmm. things continually get worse and worse until they discover what is really destined for them wow cool. um and so it's a you know creepy horror movie that has almost no night scenes hmm. in it, or at least in the you know in two thirds of it, it's all in bright daylight. Oh, interesting. That's that's a cool move for a horror film to do. I, I mm -hmm. like that. I don't watch horror films like almost as a rule, but that sounds like something I might get into. Well, you're dead to me. <laughs> oh, I love horror films. I love them so much because they're. I mean, that's just the height of cinematic craft. Or it has like it's where all the different things cinema can do are are done very well in a good horror yeah. film. I was not on board with this one. Okay. Um, like. At oh, okay. All. So you're telling um, me don't yeah. see it? What? Yeah. <laughs> Midsummer. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah. All right, let's move but on. But I will then, say, I... <laughs> I will say though that Mandy last year was my favorite movie of the year, and that's kind of a horror thriller movie. So maybe I, I need. Well, this you one? might like Midsummer Mandy. then, Mandy. Uh, it is in a similar world where, like, I guess the, the, the vibe that I don't like about Midsummer and that, like, I wanted to like Mandy more but didn't oh, yeah. 
is that they do kind of become ultimately like form over content. Yeah, kind of totally. Stuff, and like where meta. you the you really have to ride the style for much of it because the story is so upfront and obvious from very early mm-hmm. on that then they they kind of um, they kind of think their style is more engaging and uh, captivating than than at least it was for me uh, and. So if but if you want to like ride that groove for for two hours, then you know Midsummer's the film for you. Okay. Um, and it has it might be a first in cinematic history that with Midsummer they released a three hour director's cut while the original film was still in its theatrical release. <laughs> and I don't I don't think that's, that's ever a power move. Before. That might be a, a first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I mean A twenty four knew they had. Uh, a summer kind of cult hit on their hands. And then, uh, yeah, and then they put out at the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, uh, the director's cut in theaters uh, while other theaters are still playing the original. Uh, so Hilarious. yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, well, cool. Uh, did you watch the Irishman, Mike? I did. Yeah. I saw it in a theater. Oh yeah, that's cool. Um, How'd you like it? Yeah. Um, I liked yeah. it. I liked it. I think I, I am enjoying it more the more I think yeah, about it, and me. I'm very eager to see it again. Too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like a, an 8 out of 10 or so, Some, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Um, it's, fun, it's funny mm-hmm. to think about the like the criticism of it as being too long on a podcast about David Foster Wallace, but it kind, it kind yeah. of felt too long overall, but this is also coming from a guy who can sit and watch like four or five hours of dramatic television that are broken into five episodes, you know, pretty easily. But then to watch a movie that's over three hours and say it's too long, is like a very funny kind of irony, I guess, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I guess I, especially when like the, the final hour or so is really, really powerful. That's true. Yeah. And I guess like some of it, the length is, it has maybe some resonance with stoner in a way where you are right, kind of yeah. there for an entire yeah, life, you know, and you really feel like you have lived that whole life and you feel like the cumulative impact of all of these yeah. things that you've been watching. Yeah. Like the weight and it of really all of does this make the last half yeah. hour. Yeah. 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 And just how it all kind of amounts to spoiler alert, like it all kind of amounts to nothing, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, I really like, and then as I've been thinking back on it, how this sort of makes the film's tour through American history really interesting, mm-hmm. uh, because really it all starts in World War Two. All of the thing, his house painting business, without like giving <laughs> right. too much away, yeah. uh, basically is from his war experience, yeah. um, and how like while it threatens it points to do that a kind of forest gumpy like tour through <laughs> the, 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 the post-war yeah. american hits like it really does wind up doing it in a very precise way to look at the various institutions that thrived on this kind of behavior and loyalty and, yeah. and sense of um a sense of menace really um and I, I really kind of, I, I think by the end, uh, and then as I've been thinking about it since, have really uh, think it's um, it's quite a strong work. And I guess the the biggest thing that it maybe has going against it is like just all the, how it's kind of getting compared to other 
of Scorsese's mob films yeah. when it probably has a lot more in common with a film like Silence than it does with a film like Goodfellas. Um, you know, and I guess that's just sort of the, or this in the same way that like Age of Innocence is probably his best mob film uh, because like, the, you know, the New York High Society, like that's a mafia um, and they they put the hit on Daniel Day-Lewis's character in that movie. Uh, it's just, you know, nobody draws a gun in it, uh, but it's, it's a mob movie. Um, and in the same way that I feel like the Irishman is maybe more like what the priesthood is in silence than what the, you know, what the mafia mm. is in, in Goodfellas or, or, you know, or casino. Right. Hmm. Nice. But yeah, I dug it. Yeah. Um, but, and now, now the, the, uh, as a lit podcast though, um, I think the listeners who really like postmodern fiction need to go see under the silver lake. Mm. Um, and I don't know. If I have not heard of you, this. Well, we know Matt didn't see it. <laughs> I never but, uh, heard of it. I've know. never heard of it either. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, and there's there's a reason for that, I guess. So this is the follow-up feature by uh, David Robert Mitchell. I believe I'm getting the name right. Uh, he directed It Follows, right. which is a really solid horror okay. movie from a few years ago. I've heard of that. Uh, that movie and, creeped me out. That actually, I love that yeah, movie. Yeah. I don't um, know if you know about a, It, but It Follows. <laughs> it Follows you around. Uh, that was the premise. The premise was great. Okay. I love that yes. movie. Um, and this one is his follow-up movie, it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in 2018, and then it was supposed to come out in the summer of 2018 hmm. from A24, and it didn't, and they pushed it. And then it was supposed to come out in December of 2018, and it didn't, and they pushed it again, and then announced that they were releasing it to video on demand in April of 2019. <laughs> and so they basically buried this movie, um, and so I watched it at home on demand and uh listeners i will tell you i have no idea why they did not choose to release this movie in theaters of all the things that a24 has released and with all their sort of marketing savvy to get people to go see movies that aren't as good as they look in the trailers uh this film had a wonderful trailer and it is basically if you took like the crying of lot 49 and the long goodbye and inherent vice and the big lebowski and put them in this sort of Gen X millennial blender <laughs> under the Silver Lake is what comes wow. out. Uh, and it's it's a movie that, like, and again, maybe, like, I lived or hung out in and around the area that this movie takes place for, you know, like 12 years or so. So, like, I really think that it nails that neighborhood in a very interesting way. Mm -hmm. But it's another work of, like, L.A. stoner noir in that tradition of Long Goodbye and Lebowski and Inherent Vice uh, mm -hmm. And it's just doing it in that kind of, um, in maybe a more 21st century way. Uh, but the movie makes no sense at all, and you don't want it to, and you don't want it to end. It just keeps <laughs> getting weirder and weirder and weirder. Um, and it is just this look at, this paranoid look at um, Gen X and millennial pop culture. And it builds this kind of master narrative about where it all really comes from and what it's all really there for. Uh, and it's, it's terrifying, but also kind of funny and weird. Uh, so I would, I would put in a big, um, a big recommendation for um, under the silver lake. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, as well as um, I mean, Jordan Peele's us is very good and everybody should see it. Um, I really like thinking about that movie. Uh, Dave, did you get to see that one? Did that? I haven't seen it because it's a horror film, but I, quite liked get okay. out so i'm 
I'm I'm much yeah. more inclined to see us because of that. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it better. Yeah. Like I think it is uh it sort of arrives a little less sorted out as far as what it's yeah, saying, right. where where get out kind of is is very front and totally. center with what it's yeah. about and how how to read yeah. it. And it's very rich in that respect. Us is a little messier, mm-hmm. but also I think some of that is what gets its hooks in me a little sure, bit more. Yeah where I'm still thinking about it in a way that I, I just don't know if I've got it all, like if I can put my finger yeah, on it yeah. in the same way. Yeah. That's cool. uh, yeah. Um, another one that might be of interest to maybe concavity listeners, Alex Ross Perry's new movie, Her Smell with um, Elizabeth Moss. That is um, really wonderful. Uh, it's five scenes. It's like a two hour oh, wow. and 20 minute movie and it's only five scenes long. And Elizabeth Moss plays like kind of a Courtney Love-ish yeah, like uh, riot, riot girl rock star who is grappling with uh, an addiction to something we don't know what. And the way that it's filmed allows her to do some really tour de force kind of performances where they're backstage having some sort of argument. She leaves the room. The camera stays in the room. She comes back in two minutes later and she's a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, the scene totally changes because of how she is when she walks into the scene and it's like five scenes like that. (laughs) Uh, and I thought it was, was really, really good. Uh, I have initially, uh, I've seen his like three of his more recent films, uh, like listen up Philip, which a lot of people liked and I didn't really care for queen of earth, which I adored. And then this one, her smell, um, might be the best of the Hmm. three for me. Although queen of earth is pretty awesome uh as well um and then uh i'll throw it as far as foreign language films i'll throw in a plug for uh, parasite is as good as they say it is everybody oh, should I've go heard see that's it. great yeah uh it is it is very good and then i saw zha jean Ku's newest movie called ash is purest white which is uh phenomenal and uh and very very moving uh it's it's i don't know if it's in theaters near people but uh, if you have a public library card, your public library might be affiliated with a streaming service called Canopy with a K. Uh, that, I get that through the yeah. yeah, so through your public library, right? Like I get ten views a month, and they have deals with a lot of really good independent film distributors, and so that's how I was able to see Ashes Purest White because it's not really going to play in New Orleans, uh, or if it did, it played for like a night and a night or two, and that was kind of my only shot at mm-hmm. it. Uh, those were the ones that that and then uh, Jim Jarmusch's zombie movie, The Dead Don't Die, is the oh, other I film that seen really that kind of captured my imagination this cool. year. It it is. Uh, I don't know if I like it, and I don't know if it's good, <laughs> but I do know that with the exception of the souvenir, I have not thought of another movie more this year than The Dead Don't Die. Uh, it it seems to be a the zombie movie for our times, where <laughs> we know exactly where everything is headed, and we are completely powerless or we feel powerless to stop all of it. And so, and it is, it is that kind of a zombie movie. So it is about the current political situation. It is about the current environmental situation, mm-hmm. all filtered through a zombie movie. Um, also featuring Adam driver. Oh yeah. Uh, in right. it. Um, yeah. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, those were my, uh, and I guess the, uh, the segue to music maybe for that is that it features a, a theme song by Sturgill Simpson. Hmm. Matt leader's a big fan. Never heard of him. He's a, like a, a country <laughs> artist, right? Like a alt alt oh, country. I was joking. Oh. I know. <laughs> sorry, sorry to be that guy. Two mansplained who Sturgill Simpson was. To you. <laughs> uh, 
Um, this is not a movie from 2019. It's a movie from 2013, but I saw a tweet from Biblioclept uh, a few days ago. He said, I don't think I've seen Hard to Be a God on a single dumb best of the decade list. And then I looked up Hard That's to Be true. a God, and I'd never heard of it, and I watched the trailer, and it looks yeah. like one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Have you seen it, Mike? It's a lot. Yeah, I did see it, and I really want to see it again because it is like three hours okay. long, and when I went to see like it... Russian? I was Russian? Like, what... Uh, it yes um and like what happens is a lot of the things i see i really want to see again and a part of me saying that is like one because it's really worth seeing again and two is because when i saw it the only chance i got to see it was when i was really freaking tired and i was like fighting falling asleep through a lot of it not because it was bad but just because i've got three kids and two jobs and, and black you know, and white uh, and it's subtitled that. and yeah you say all that like it's a bad thing. Well, it's thing. not bad. And, like, I'm just saying it doesn't. It doesn't like. It doesn't like uh, captivate your senses maybe in a way that a movie that's in your, you know, native language and in color might. You know what I mean? Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like it, but they are just like in muck. Yeah. Like for it looks three hours. Really messy. Like, it is. <laughs> yeah. It is. I mean, you. It is just like they are in. It's a swampy. Yeah mucky boggy movie um <laughs> matt luter like and, uh, made me read uh in what is it in the penal colony by kafka this week uh uh-huh. and it kind of looks like how that story feels when i was reading it <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah it's it's good i mean i like i like i said i need to see it again but i would still say it's a movie people yeah. should see okay like it, the the filmmaker is doing things that no other filmmaker okay, cool. is uh, I watched the movie First Reformed this year. Did you see that, Mike? I assume. Oh my God, that was my favorite okay, movie yeah. last year. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to watch it last year. But I, that that was impactful. I would say. Uh, I think about it a lot. Even yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That that film is. That was another one where you're looking at a filmmaker who is kind of synthesizing his entire body of work as both a director and a screenwriter. Mm-hmm with like little callbacks and little details, but also doing something that does not feel derivative of him or his influences at all. Yeah. That film is, is astounding and uh, would be in like my top five of the decade Mm -hmm. kind of list that I haven't made yet, but like it would, uh, the souvenir would as well, by the way, Mm -hmm. like that would be, that would make my, my, like the only ones I know of that are like certainly high up there would be of course, like, as cliched as it sounds, right? Tree of Life. You love it. First yeah. Reformed and the sou- the souvenir. Yeah. What else has Paul Schrader done? Yeah. The director. Uh, well, he is known, I guess, maybe best. He did this the screenplay for oh, Taxi, Taxi Driver, Driver yeah. but he also directed. Um, he directed uh, American Gigolo, um, Light Sleeper. Uh, he did the Canyons co- with the screenplay by Brady Ellis that uh, stars Lindsay okay. Lohan. <laughs> um, awesome. But uh, but yeah, he. Um, he, and then he's also like a, he started off as a film critic in the in the early seventies. He wrote the seminal essay on film noir hmm. um, back then, um, and so yeah, he's a he's a really great. And, and now he's like a big dude on Facebook, like thirsting after Taylor Swift, and like <laughs> this what? week posting these weird things about like making these people making comments about de aging and the Irishman. Like he, I mean, he is just like this crazy dude who gives zero fucks at this point. Um, and so he's like on his Facebook page is something that like film Twitter people okay. follow and like post screen right. caps up and stuff like that. He's, he's a character. Yeah. Uh, he is definitely a character, but, uh, but yeah, Paul Schrader is, um, 
a very, very interesting mm-hmm. dude. But yeah, First Reformed, man. Oh, that's so good. Uh, yeah, I guess as far as like older movies I saw this year, the thing I would want to talk about is I, I this summer I started watching and re-watching uh, Spike Lee films that I had either not seen before or wanted to see again. And that has been delightful. And he is a severely underrated uh, American filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I know he gets a lot of acclaim, it's not enough. Uh, and the one the one I saw that I had never seen before that I was blown away by was Girl 6, hmm. uh, which is the film he made, I guess, after Clockers and maybe before like he got game or something like that. That is about a, a phone sex operator. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it is, uh, it is fantastic. Um, it is really, really great. It has an amazing clip of Spike Lee acting out uh, scenes from the Jeffersons. <laughs> um, it's very, it's very fun. It's delightful. Huh. R.I.P. Cool. Danny Aiello, right? Two days ago, Danny Aiello. Right, yes, yeah. Did the right thing. Yeah, Boycott Sal's. Uh, <laughs> any other movies that, that, were, that you want to mention as we close out the film section, Mike? Uh, no, I think that's okay. that's good. I'm, cool, I'm cool. good there. I saw... Well, I have a list now, Mike, so I appreciate you being yeah. on. I appreciate you filling in the gaps of my complete uh, <laughs> idiocy. Uh, you know, I have room to watch The Irishman probably... Yeah after christmas but now i have a whole other list of stuff um to watch yeah, to me read. too so i really appreciate you stepping totally. in here and filling in the gaps man yeah well yeah and i guess i would i would add that like for the where to find some of these like i think the souvenir and under the silver lake are both available on amazon prime her smell and ashes purest white are on canopy um irishman of course is on mm-hmm. netflix parasite still in theaters for the most oh, yeah. part and um yeah that's most of the and then i guess like us something like us is available kind of on multiple formats and once upon a time in hollywood as well um and uh dead don't die is also out on video now sweet did you see knives out this week mike i have not seen it yet no that is one of the ones that we're still uh we're trying, my wife and I are trying to get out to go see yeah. together along with Todd Haynes' new film, Dark Waters, okay. um, which like a new, Todd, there's a new Todd Haynes film out and I haven't seen it yet. And I'm, I'm really, what else has he done about that? Uh, oh, he made uh safe. I'm not there. Velvet okay. gold mine. Um, yeah, he's, he's the greatest living American. <laughs> um, I said, I, Bold claim. I said, I said what I said. Nice. What I, said. I like it. Um, yeah. yeah. I saw Knives um, Out yeah, this week in the theater and, and it was quite enjoyable. I liked it. There's a pension reference as well. Yeah. I'm very eager yeah. to see it. I messaged oh, cool. Bill Butler when I got home on Twitter and said, Hey, have you seen Knives Out yet? There's something in it you're going to like. And he's like, Oh, I haven't, but I, I want to see that movie anyway. So, uh, sh- Oh, he hasn't blocked shout you. Shout out That's to, cool. uh, to our, our nemesis podcast. Pension in public. <laughs> I hope you guys don't have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, all right. How about television? Uh, am I the only one who watches, that? watches TV? Okay. Let me just start. I can do this very quickly, but if you want to know the essence of who Dave Laird is, you need to go on Netflix and watch a show <laughs> called, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson. And if you watch this show, it's about six episodes. It's a sketch comedy show. And you and you like it and it resonates with you uh send me a message you know we've got lots to talk about uh after you watch that go find a show also on netflix called the characters and watch episode seven which is done entirely by the same guy tim robinson and message me as well after you watch that one uh it's the funniest thing i've seen this year 
uh, maybe in the last five years. Uh, Nathan for You as a TV show is probably still the funniest thing that I can think of. And this comes very close, but in a kind of a different way. Um, so that would be my, my top move, uh, top TV highlight of the year for 2019. Um, Chernobyl. Wasn't he the one who did the, uh, absolute paint job? Yes. That is from the characters episode seven. (laughs) Yeah. There's a sketch where a guy goes in to buy a gun, uh, from a gun store and then just ends up telling a series of stories of him being accused of, uh, making messes in public bathrooms. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And, and, uh, the phrase absolute paint job gets used yes uh, <laughs> it's becoming something of a, of a catchphrase in our friends group isn't it um any music dave do you we have a playlist out oh there? yeah you want to mention i'll mention music? a few other tv shows how about first um dramatic tv <laughs> watch chernobyl it is amazing it's six episodes very short but it is uh probably the best dramatic tv show that i watched this year uh, i've really been enjoying watchmen as well did you guys read that graphic novel in the last, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years? I have or so? read the, the graphic novel, but not seen the TV. I've not seen Yeah, the so TV the show. TV show is set in that universe and has some of the same characters, but it's like a totally new story. Uh, it is great. It is the, I think the last episode is on tonight, so I'm very psyched to, to watch that. Um, another HBO drama that I watched this year is called Succession. Uh, about like a, a mogul who owns basically like Fox News. It's not called that, but that's kind of the, the thing. And it's about him and his family uh, and, the, and all of his kids like vying for the power of the business because he's about he's in his you know mid 80s and he's moving on soon. Uh, that show was pretty fun. <laughs> I just watched The Crown season three, which is about uh, the current monarchy. And I thought that was great. I have not watched seasons one or two. But three people around me were watching it, and so I just started with them and watched the whole thing, and it was rad. Um, Game of Thrones obviously finished this year. I watched that. Uh, the OA we talked about, Matt, I think two years ago? One oh, year ago. yeah. Okay, I have I have been watching that. I haven't finished okay, so it. you're on season two, the newest um, season? I am. I'm about halfway okay. through. My friend and I were binge-watching it over mm-hmm. the summer, and then the last day we were supposed to finish it was the day that uh we had a a near hurricane oh sort i know, of thing I know down about here. this yeah and so, i was gonna come visit you and then i yeah, and didn't so, come visit you because there was a yes, hurricane and so i stayed yes, in la instead <laughs> yes <laughs> that sucked but i i i adore the uh the oa yeah, it's good, right? um I, and, uh, but i'm saying that not knowing how it ends and I, I'm, apparently the ending upsets a lot this of people this is not a spoiler mike but the last episode of season two of the oa is one of my favorite episodes of television maybe ever it exciting ends in a really cool yeah. way. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I mean, I'm I'm a very big fan of um of that that creative mm-hmm, team mm-hmm. of the films that they've made. Um, yeah, Britt Marlin and, and um Zal Zal Batmangli. Yeah. I'm I'm ruining his name. Um, also an American Film Institute directing alum, but uh, it uh yeah, their work is mm-hmm. so great, and I I really wish that they did more work and had a higher profile than they do, but they're, they're remarkable. Good. Um, and then comedies, Rick and Morty has been really funny. I've been watching a Canadian show called Shits Creek. That's actually pretty strong, which is not something I usually say for Canadian television. Uh, another, and Catherine O'Hara is in that, right? And Eugene Levy and then Eugene Levy's son. Uh, it starts a bit slow, but it gets pretty endearing, uh, by season four and five, which is where I'm at now. 
another great show I discovered this year is called Workin' Moms, and it's uh, another Canadian show, and it is surprisingly hilarious, especially if you have young children. A lot of that will land pretty well with you. Um, and a couple others I'll mention. Louder Milk is a show on Amazon Prime that I discovered that is about an AA recovery group. And so there's a lot of uh, Infinite Jest stuff uh, that feels very overlappy with that show. Uh, it stars the um, the guy from Office Space, the guy who plays Peter, Ron Livingston. He's the he's uh-huh. the lead in it, and he's he plays like an uh, an ex music critic, and he's you know, really jaded and uh, funny, but it's you know it's got a lot of humanity in it. Um, the show Catastrophe. Did you ever watch that, Mike? Also a good show for young no. parents. Uh, it's set in the UK. That ended this season good funny ending fleabag was great as well also a uk show that ended and i'll end off by saying that queer eye continues to be uh, a surprising delight every time i watch it um because you don't necessarily think a show about life makeovers is gonna be like the most grabbing thing on tv but queer eye is fantastic so i recommend that as well and that's all i'll say about tv how about music, Mike? Anything? Uh, you have a few top favorite albums this year? I do have a few. I, I have to say that I haven't really gotten to follow music as closely as I have in years mm. past. I fear I'm hitting that point in life called taste freeze. Me too. Uh, I've had that for a long I, time. But I hit it seven years later than it's than it's been sort of predicted, so I feel like I, I kind of won. What's, what's the age uh, that they say? Like mid-30s? 30... 30, Th- they say 33, 33. is in the article I read. Specific. So I turned 40 this yeah. year, so I feel like uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, the new thing, I, the new artist I discovered this year, who I'm the most excited about, even though she's not new necessarily to the music scene, but Sharon mm-hmm. Van Etten's album "Remind Me Tomorrow," uh, I really, really like and have been listening to a lot. Mm-hmm. And I guess I first discovered her on Twin Peaks the oh, Return. Not, not the OA. She plays at the Roadhouse. She's in the OA as well. And then and then she yeah, and then she winds up yeah. being in the OA as well. So like basically uh we it was it was meant to be <laughs> totally. uh but I, I I love that album a lot. Uh you know the the like a song Comeback Kid and Seventeen are both really wonderful. Um so that was kind of the, the oh, big nice. discovery cool. for me. Uh I've been getting deeper and deeper into Titus Andronicus oh, and yes, I think please. their new album is really strong. And that their album I Blame Society <laughs> is the punk song that I can't believe like punk's been around for forty something years and no one has written this song yet. <laughs> and I, 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 but it, you know, it, the, I think it's wonderful. Yeah, you know, it, you know, great. all of the lyrics to it are, are really great. Uh, you know, I'm not sick. The system is, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I, I really enjoyed uh, this band X Hex. Oh yeah, heard of uh, that I I really love had their second album out called It's Real that like if you want to hear what the if the cars and blondie and the pretenders all reformed and were a new band they would sound yeah. like x hex uh, and then super chunks new album is very good um uh, called uh, what a time to be alive uh and lowe's new album i'm slowly grooving yeah that's on. a slow burn um, album isn't it yeah pretty highly yeah, acclaimed I am, like... i'm eager to spend more time yeah. on it yeah, yeah. Um, and I had kind of been into them for a while and then fell away and then jumped back on when Jeff Tweedy had produced an album of theirs that I really liked. And now this one came out, so I'm kind of back mm-hmm. on the horse. And then speaking of Jeff Tweedy, yeah. 
Warmer. His uh, solo album Warmer came out that I liked yeah, quite a bit, too. and then Wilco's new album Ode to Joy. Uh, both of them I, I, I want to spend more time with. I feel like Wilco is increasingly putting out records that are best appreciated on headphones, mm. and I just haven't quite had the opportunity to sort of sit next to my record player late at night with headphones on and really appreciate mm. their last couple records. But what I have heard of it, I like quite yeah. a bit. And uh, I'm secretly hoping that they are playing Jazz Fest this year or oh, something like nice. that. Because uh, they, they, they keep announcing tour dates and none of them are in New Orleans. And so that just leads me to think, uh, well, they're, they're going to wind up at Jazz Fest in May. <laughs> Fingers crossed for you, man. I, I will say that... I guess. I mean, I would rather see them at a, at a, in a club or like in, a, in an indoor venue. But like take I'll, I'll take get. Jazz Fest. Yeah. I watched the... Um... The Jeff Tweedy interview by George Saunders a week or two ago, and really, really enjoyed that as well. Check that out. We can link to it. Yeah. Oh, okay. They're like sitting in the Wilco studio loft with like a hundred guitars. Oh, in the loft. It's yeah. Yeah. So uh-huh. even just like the atmosphere oh, of the cool. conversation is is super rad. Um, oh, I will, I will yeah. check that out. For me, I would say my top two albums of the year were like almost like tied for first, and it was really hard for me to like break that tie. Uh, between Kevin Morby's album Oh My God and the Toronto pop punk band Pup, their album Morbid Stuff is actually incredible. And it's weird for me to say mm-hmm. that about a pop punk album, but for some reason, this band has just really captivated me in the last couple of years, their last two albums. Um, so those are my those are my top two. Uh, Whitney came out with an album this year that I liked a lot called Forever Turned Around. Uh, the album... Uh, the band Big Thief, who is, I would say, probably yeah. like maybe the best new artist of the decade. Uh, they came out with two mm-hmm. albums this year, which was surprisingly prolific. Yeah. And I've, I've only heard the <laughs> okay, first one. UFOF. Uh, the second one is called yeah, which Two I like. Hands. And I think I like Two Hands better. But UFOF has some great That's songs what I've heard. as well. Um, but Two Hands is, seems a bit more consistent to me. I like the, some of the choices. Yeah, um, I've been I've been slower to come on to them. Yeah. I think because I had heard a lot of hype mm-hmm. about them and expected, without paying close attention to the hype, I was expecting to put it on and hear like pavement. Okay. And I no, don't know no. why that popped <laughs> into my head from the hype, uh-huh. but you can understand why yeah. if you had been hyped, like, oh, this is the new band and they rock, <laughs> and I'm thinking like, okay, well, a new indie rock band, if they rock, then they probably mean pavement, right. and then you put on that one of their records, and it's like, that's not what it's like <laughs> no. at all, <laughs> right? No. Um, but then I finally was just like, okay, I, I need to just get this record and spend time with it, mm-hmm. and so I bought UFOF as like an assignment, okay, basically, yeah. uh-huh. you know, it's like, yeah. I'm going to sit down and listen to this record and, and get into it, yeah. and it's... um. It's it's really nice. I I really like it. Yeah, there's a some lot. gorgeous st- gorgeous songs on it. For me, it's weird. Like their albums have been kind of diminishing returns. Where their first album, I think, is by far their best, called Masterpiece. Really. And then the next one, okay. Capacity, is is a close second. And then the two from this year are both good, but not. I don't think as strong as the other ones. Um, okay. If you want a more folky. Um, version of Big Thief. She came out with an album in 2014 called A Sides B Sides, which they just pressed on vinyl this year for the first time, and it's like some okay. of the prettiest folk music I've ever heard, front to back. It's gorgeous. Um, one of my favorite albums of the decade for sure. So that's worth checking mm-hmm. out. Adrian Lenker. Um, I like the Bonnie Vera album this year. I like the Vampire Weekend album this year. Damien Gerardo 
had an album called In the Shape of a Storm this year that is great. Um, Purple Mountains. Are you familiar with David Berman? Yeah. yeah. Sad suicide. Yeah, I story haven't bought. I haven't year. bought that record yeah. yet. Um, but I um, I am I am a fan of mm-hmm. of his. Um, but have not gotten the new record yet. Yeah, and then several other decent albums, but uh, that's kind of the top the top handful. Um, yeah. Neither of you play video games much, I think. No. Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll just skip that. Uh, what about what about <laughs> what about board games, uh, Matt? You play any games this year? No. <laughs> Thirty-five minutes of silence, and then a one-word answer. That's. But we, we, he's still awake. That's good. But he's good. still here, he's, guys. He's still with us. You know, I was waiting for you to ask him about my bands because I did have. One. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, Sorry, we, I, was I just assumed add one, which is uh, the D Lines, who is Willie Vlauten's band, and uh, I don't they know have them. a new album out. Uh, earlier this year called Imperial. Okay, and cool. I really like that album, especially the title track called The Imperial. And if you're going to listen to one song by the D-Lines, I think this is their masterwork. Can I put it on our playlist, and, Matt? Yeah, the D-Lines, Imperial. Okay. Um, it's really good. And Willie does all of the writing. You know, I love all of his books, Lean on Pete, especially. Oh, but, yeah. Oh, it's uh, the same guy. Okay, yeah. Which you bought yeah, that book for but, me in July, and I am excited to get yeah. to it. I'm going to add this Absolutely to our playlist book. now. And uh, Don't Skip Out of Me is the one that came out last year. But the D-Lines uh, Imperial just came out maybe 10 months ago, mm-hmm. February. Okay, cool. But I, I would put that on my list and just say, go listen to that one. I got nothing about board games. I got nothing about video games. I got nothing about... I would love to just go through a stack of other books that I have here, uh, kind of semi in progress. That would be another show. Uh, well, no surprise for me, board games. Uh, top top two were Netrunner and Arkham Horror. If you're interested in what? See, seeing more about those, I have side Instagram accounts dedicated to each of them. Uh, Arkham in the Ether and Netrunner in the Wild. Uh, if you feel like really delving into my psyche, you can you can see what's there. The results may uh, shock, shock and disgust you, in terms of the the deep <laughs> the deep nerdery of my life. <laughs> yeah, pe- people on a Wallace podcast ha- don't want to be near deep nerdery at all, right? No, not at all. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I played a few games with the kids. Like my uh, my oldest son for his birthday, what he wanted was Axis and Allies. Oh my gosh! And we ha- so we have been playing that the past few weekends, and that's been very fun. The same game um, though, right? Like the same single game. Well, like you've just I left kind it. Kind of. And... <laughs> it's I guess it's the nineteen. 19- yeah, right. Yeah, it's this. It's the exact same game. Like yeah, we're we're uh, you know, we're on round four. Yeah, totally. of, of the turn, right? <laughs> it's 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 the Soviet Union's turn. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, and then I got, um, because of, you know, knowing and, and listening to you talk about games and stuff, I sort of started poking around mm-hmm. and I found two good movie related card games oh, that nice. I have gotten really into, uh, and they've been really fun to play with, with groups of friends. Mm-hmm. One of them is called pitch storm and essentially it's a card game where you draw a plot card and a character card at random and you put them together and read them, and you have to start pitching that movie. Oh, that's amazing! So it would be, you know, the uh, a, a person d- with magical powers 
wants to steal the Declaration of Independence or whatever <laughs> would be the, the two that you suddenly... And so you start pitching the movie to a person who's pretending to be a studio executive, and then midway through your pitch, they pull a card of notes that will say something to the effect of like, you know what? I love what you're saying, but we have a deal with Dippin' Dots, and I really need you to figure out a way to work Dippin' Dots into this story. And you have to immediately incorporate that element into your pitch. Um, and so it's a lot of fun, and it's it's most fun to play the executive because you get to mess with people and give them ridiculous uh, notes and things like that. But uh, when we've gotten together and played it with people, it's been a lot of fun. And then the new one, and this one I found out about through Twitter mm -hmm. and ordered it finally, uh, this game called Cinephile. I don't know if y'all have been following that Twitter account at all, but essentially you get a pack of cards that are actors, hmm. and there are a variety of ways that you can play where you can like see who can list the most movies that that actor has been in, or you know a variety of things like that, or you get the two actors and you play a six degrees game, mm -hmm. uh, where you'll have to somehow connect <laughs> yeah. that actor to the other, and whoever can do it in the fewest number of moves, you know, wins. Hmm. And uh, Matt Luder and I sat down and played this game a, a few weeks ago, and it was a lot of fun. the The card deck does skew a little more contemporary. I would say, like the the actors in it are people who have made their careers from maybe 1970 forward. Uh, and this is not like, you're not going to get like a Humphrey Bogart card or something like that, which is a, <laughs> Fine which by is a bit of a, a bummer. Um, I don't know. Old cinema but, uh, yeah. So I mean, like, I'm sure like they'll have opportunities for expansion packs mm -hmm. and things like that, right. where they can do like classic, uh, classic Hollywood, yeah. which would be really fun. Uh, but it was, it was a blast cool. to play it and, and really hard because you would, you know, you'd get people and try to, like, figure out what ensemble movie you were going to work through to get to the other person. Um, <laughs> so, But, yeah, I think it would be a, a very fun game to play with the right kind of people. Cool. That sounds fun. Well, any uh, any final thoughts on, on the year 2019 from you guys? I think that covers most of the categories that we wanted to hit. Yeah, I mean, I, I just it's it's it always brings up sort of end of the decade kind of sure, stuff. Sure, doesn't and it? Yeah. I think, I think at least for movies, I think the 2010s were better for cinema than the the aughts. Do you? Uh, huh. Even though huh. the the landscape of theatrical distribution and studio filmmaking and stuff like that is not near not looking as good at all. Mm -hmm. uh, the the quality of work, like if I were to look at my what I think are the best movies of this decade and put them up against the, the aughts mm -hmm. uh, this decade would come out looking pretty good. Huh. Interesting. I think the aughts for me are probably like my favorite decade of music and film. So I'm going to, mm. I'm going to like collate my lists, Mike, after this in the next week or two. Okay. And then I'm going to like see how I think they stacked up and then we'll be in touch about it. That sounds fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds cool. good. All right. Well, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on for this year interview episode. It's been great to get all your takes. Uh, we want to thank yeah. Robin O'Neill and Parquet Courts for all their usual art associated with our show. We want to thank two new patrons uh, since the last episode, Craig Smith. Thank you so much. And Kristen Manazian. Thank you guys so much for joining the team. And Matt, uh, if people want to get in touch with us, where can they find us? 
Well, first, I'd like to go back and welcome Mike Miley to the show. Um, he, he is he is he is the author of uh, a book that's about to come oh, out. Yes. Mike, do you want to tell us uh, what the name of the book is and where people can find it? What's it yes. About? So, uh, yes. Yeah, so the book is called Truth and Consequences, Game Shows in Fiction and Film. And it is about how writers and filmmakers use the game show as a narrative device to talk about larger themes, both personal and national. And it is uh, available for pre-order uh, wherever books are sold currently. And it will be out in, probably by the time this episode drops, it'll be out through the University Press of Mississippi. Um, and so, yeah, so it'll you can find look for it, I guess, maybe wherever books are sold, but certainly <laughs> uh, online you will uh, be able to find it. Amazing. Uh, yes, yeah, so that is coming out very soon. Very exciting. Congrats on that, man. And you also Thank were you. part of the collection Approaches to Teaching David Foster Wallace, which came out in October this year. Yes. Yeah, I have the essay in it about teaching Wallace in high school. Awesome. I have not got to that yet, but I look forward to getting a copy soon. Yeah, the, I haven't looked through much of the rest of it either, but those but I have a lot of copies of those Approaches to Teaching books mm -hmm. for other things oh, that yeah. I teach, and they're wonderful. Cool. Yeah, they're great books. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so thanks for being here, Mike. Yeah, thanks, and man. Yeah, thank you. All right, Dave, you can find us online at Concavity Show on Instagram or concavityshow at gmail.com. We always like getting feedback. We're also on Twitter. I, I love you all. It's been a good year, and I hope to uh, talk to you again in the new year. Yeah, so uh, so happy new year to everybody. We wish you the season's best, and, and I hope you had a Merry Christmas and all that stuff, except for the guys at, at Pinching in Public. Uh, thanks, thanks for listen, listening. We look forward to, to 2020 with all of you. Catch me now as I sing. The lapper curve. All right. <laughs> the Terrif Holly Smoot tariff act. <laughs> I see what you guys did there. So maybe you want to become a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. <laughs> now go win his money. <laughs>